June, July, and August, returning to our regular schedule the first Sunday in September. Um, next weekend, does anybody know what next weekend is? Father's Day. And so we will have a gift for all the guys next Sunday after church. So and uh, so don't forget, if you got a father, write him a card or something. Trail Light and American Heritage Girls on the left side of your uh, bulletin. Next steps today immediately following the service. Is that downstairs? Yeah. So if you're interested in one or both of these coming ministries, please plan to attend the information meeting to learn more. Again, downstairs immediately following the service. Today, uh, softball is your plan. We have two games, 2 and 3 p.m. Uh, both games are at the North Field. Had some scheduling changes, but so far we're still on. Uh, the rain probably walked the fields nicely, so. What's our record? Our record is uh, not worthy to be mentioned. We haven't lost all the games. So. I guess that's what happens when you don't practice. So, uh, also, we have summer camp coming up. Elaine and I are taking some kids, middle school, high school age students to summer camp in upstate New York to uh, Word of Life. They have the Word of Life Bridge, which is the middle school camp, and Word of Life Island, which is the high school camp. So if you're interested in that, it's in, we're going the last week of July, July sorry, 25th through the 30th. So uh, we got a video for that. Gen Z needs summer camp now more than ever. Middle schoolers and high schoolers have had to navigate the ups and downs of the past few years, and a week of fun and faith will have a profound impact on their lives. For years, we've not allowed cell phones at camp, and that's always been helpful to students. But to a generation nicknamed the Screenagers, it has an even more profound impact. For most Gen Z students, this is the longest they will go without their cell phones all year. So many of our campers tell us the thing they look forward to most about camp is not having their cell phones. To a generation that's always connected and never fully present, a week spent fully present and never connected is life changing. We've talked a lot about mental health in the last two years, and we have Gen Z to thank for a lot of that. Not only are they the safest generation, but they're also advocates for mental health. Researchers tell us that being outside is an easy, natural way to improve our mental health. And we replace the average 6.7 hours a day that Gen Z spends on their phones with eight hours spent outside every day. And they're not just outside. They're outside in a beautiful Adirondack Park. For as long as we've had camp, we've had counselors. And they've always played an important role in helping students have a great experience at camp. But to the loneliest generation, our counselors have the opportunity to have an even greater impact. Not only have they helped them navigate the week of camp, 
but as they have intentional spiritual conversations with their neighbors. Gen Z needs something now more than ever.
without him, how lost I would be. That's the whole reason we do communion. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whatever else we talk about in these services, right here in the middle of our service, we have this time. Jesus ordered us to do this. This is one of two ordinances of the church. Baptism, believer's baptism, after salvation, and communion for the Lord's Son. So as we partake of this today, that's what we need to be thinking about. What took place on the cross without Him, we would be lost. He loved us enough to give us His own life to save our souls. So let's do this today. Let's do it as Josh prayed at the beginning of the service. First of all, by examining our own hearts and lives. If there's any unconfessed sin, there's something you're harboring in there. Uh, the Bible warns us that we should uh, take that serious. And so talk to the Lord about that while you're waiting for that train. And then when we partake together, let's do it in remembrance of Him. That His broken body was broken for us, that His shed blood was shed for us, that we might be saved. Father God, we're so thankful for the realities of these things. We're so thankful for Jesus, for His life, for His example, for His death on the cross that uh, paid the price for us, for His glorious resurrection promises us eternal life. May we now, Lord, examine our hearts and lives, forgive any sin that might be there, and help us, Father, to approach this table with clean hearts, and then, Lord, help us to do this in remembrance of the broken body and shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray.
said, this is my body broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, each of the cup, drink it in remembrance of me. And all God's people said,
Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn to Proverbs one last time. Proverbs chapter 3. I told you last week I had one other percolating in there for this particular series. We'll finish it up today. Proverbs chapter 3. And we'll start reading in verse number 1. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read, read down through. Oh, I don't know. Verse 4 or Proverbs 3 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father of the son in whom he delights. Well, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. This has been a, an interesting and enjoyable study, I, at least for me. I hope it has been for others as we've looked through Proverbs these last few weeks. And I pray today as we come to the conclusion of that study that you'll just help and guide as always, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Forgive me for anything that would hinder my usefulness to you, anything that might be unconfessed in my life. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Help me, Lord, to be usable right now. Fill me with your spirit and give me your, your, uh, your words. And just help me preach. Help me preach clearly and accurately and practically. And just use this time. And then I pray for all of us as we listen, as we hear that we'd be filled with your spirit even toward that end. That we would have ears to hear. And Lord, if there are those for whom this message has particular impact, I pray that you'll help us to respond. Guide, direct, help, we pray, as we look at this favorite proverb. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been for, uh, I think this is number 10 now, 10 weeks now, looking at the book of Proverbs with a specific aim, and that aim has been family matters. It has been to look at, uh, try to get some wisdom and some guidance from the book of Proverbs, from this book of wisdom, uh, specifically about our families, uh, as parents and grandparents, and how we raise our children and our grandchildren for the Lord. But today I wanted to take a different direction, and I, I wanted to go away from that main emphasis and just look at Proverbs in a more general way. And I wanted to think about a favorite verse or two from Proverbs. Because it seems... Uh, it just seems wrong for us to end the book of Proverbs without having at least touched a couple of these particular verses. And there's all kinds of ones from which we could draw. I mean, I, I went through my Bible, I colorful my Bible, I highlighted my Bible, and things like that. And so I just kind of flipped through and saw verses that I had highlighted, and some of them that jumped out at me. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. A good reminder to us of priorities and how important it is to have our hearts right with the Lord. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. 
It's always a good warning. Man's way is not necessarily God's way. Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and on the good. That's a good one to memorize, because uh, you'll find yourself thinking about something or potting to go someplace or do something you ought not to do, and you'll be, you'll be reminded of that verse. The eyes of the Lord are there, in every place, and they see you. Uh, Proverbs 24, verse number 10, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. That one has helped me many times when I was ready to throw in the towel, which, by the way, for most preachers is every single Monday, and I am not ex- an exception to that. But, uh, you know, when you're ready to throw in the towel, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Uh, I think God is saying there, if you can't handle a little bit of adversity, you're just a wimp. That's what he's saying. It's a good one. Proverbs 25, 25, as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news for you ever felt like that? You hear from somebody you haven't heard from in a long time, and you just think that's so refreshing. It's cold water. And it's cold water to a weary soul. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. You ever try to figure out what the difference is between those two things? You have ever taken those two verses and mulled them over in your mind? Well, here's the answer. Here's the explanation of those verses. There's no right way to answer a fool. Fools can't be dealt with. And uh, that's always helpful to me. Well, Proverbs 27, 17, we quote this a lot in our men's meetings, our men's prayer breakfast, men's Bible study. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We need each other, don't we? We help each other. We sharpen each other. And Proverbs 30, verse number 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. And a good reminder about the Bible. And we can go on. Those are just a few of my favorites. But there's one that I think bubbles to the top of the list. And I think it probably bubbles to the top of the list of anybody who's read Proverbs through. Uh, I, look, I looked up online and it's one of the most searched for and one of the most beloved verses in Proverbs all over the world. And that is verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3 that we read just a minute ago. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct so I want to talk about that one this morning. I said I'm going to talk about favorite proverbs, plural, but I want to concentrate on a favorite, my favorite proverb, which is that Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. So let's break it down. Let's break it down the way it is, is, is broken down itself. Trust in the Lord. Let's stop right there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does that mean? Trust. When we share the gospel with someone, we tell them that they need to trust Christ. When someone is going through a hard patch, we encourage them to trust in the Lord. Songwriter wrote the song we sing often. We usually sing it as an invitation song. Come every soul, thy sin oppressed, is mercy of the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. What does it mean to trust in the Lord, though? We throw out these words. What does it mean? Well, I looked up some definitions. The Hebrew, of course the Old Testament was written in Hebrew primarily. The Hebrew that is translated trust in our Bibles here is a word which means to trust, to be confident, to be unsuspecting. Not the word that's used here, but there are other words also used in the Old Testament, uh, different Hebrew words, that are translated with slightly different uh, shades of meaning. Uh, One, for example, has the idea of taking refuge 
Psalm 18, verse number 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. There it means to take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. In Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, the most common word there is elpinzo, which means to hope, to put one's hope. And we see that in several verses. Second Corinthians chapter 1, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. There's talking about our hope, our placing our hope in. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust or hope, place our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. And there's other Greek words also that are translated trust in the New Testament. And they might add a few other nuances of meaning, like the idea of confidence or the idea of being assured of or persuaded of. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3, 4. We have such trust through Christ toward our God. We have confidence. We are assured. We are persuaded. We trust. Luke chapter 18, verse number 9, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. They were confident, they were persuaded in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So there's all these little nuances of meaning. But the thing that helps me the most is not the Hebrew and not the Greek, but the English definition is, is one that makes it clearest for me. Ever looked up the word trust in Webster's Dictionary? has an interesting definition. Trust means, quote, Assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of something or someone. It means dependence on something, future or contingent. It means to place confidence in, to depend on, to be confident. That's a good definition. To trust in the Lord is to be assured of. To rely on his character, his ability, his strength, and his truth. To trust in the Lord is to depend on him. To place confidence in him, to be confident that he does and will do the right thing always. It's to be confident that God is who he said he was. That's what he promised him to do. We'll do the same forever now. Trust in the Lord. Psalmist said, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength, said Isaiah. We can trust him. We can trust what he says. We can trust his word. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. We can trust him. We can trust his character. Oh, how great is your goodness which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the Son. Trust in the Lord. Job's an example of this. As Job understood this. He trusted God through thick and thin, through prosperity and want, through health and illness, through good times and bad. And then one day he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He understood that. David trusted God, even when King Saul was hounding him all across the countryside and chasing him and trying to kill him. David prayed, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts. trust him. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in him. Well, that's the first phrase, trust in the Lord. But the verse goes on. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. Now, what does that mean? <coughs> the word heart is another one that has some nuances of meaning to it there, that Hebrew word. 
Sometimes it refers to one's emotions, and that's the way we probably would think of it most commonly when we think of the heart, we think of the seat of the emotions. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Their heart is being used of the emotions. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Again, the emotions, the heart knows only, it's a, knows, knows its own bitterness. And a stranger does not share its joy. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow, and the end of birth may, may be grief. In all those passages, the uh, heart is referring to emotions. But that's not the normal. More often, more often than that, the word describes intellect, or even will. The wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall, says Proverbs 10, verse 8. Some of the intellect. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, intellect. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer intellect. Uh, Proverbs chapter 5 and verse number 12. How I have hated instruction in my heart, despised correction. There we see intellect and, and maybe the will as well. So it has all these meanings. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Jim Neuheiser in a book called Opening Up Proverbs, he said this. He said, trust God entirely with all your heart. God demands an undivided commitment to himself. Too often Israel had a loyalty divided between the Lord and the false gods of the nations. And we can be tempted to trust the wisdom of the world rather than rely upon divine revelation. The psalmist says, I hate those who are double-minded. Psalm 119. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, Matthew 6. And he taught that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So to trust God, trust the Lord with all your heart, is to trust Him emotionally, is to trust Him intellectually, is to trust Him willfully, is to trust Him entirely. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. What does that mean? Well, to lean means to depend on, to rely on. So we are to rely on God and not rely on our own understanding. Oswald Chambers wrote, quote, Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. End quote. Philip Yancey said, I have learned that faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. It's a good quote. See, lean not on your own understanding. We, we, we can't see. We can't see the end of the path. We don't know everything that lies ahead. We don't always understand his ways or his wisdom or his plans, but we can trust them nonetheless. God said to the prophet Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. Paul wrote to the Romans, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? You see, we can trust the Lord because he is trustworthy. And we should trust the Lord with all of our heart entirely because that's what he wants of us. Our undivided commitment to him. And the opposite of that is trusting in our own selves. Leaning on our own understanding. Relying on our own wisdom. Or the wisdom of others instead of God. That is always a mistake. There are so many things that we try to trust in in this world, aren't there? So many. 
For example, men. You cannot, you dare not trust men. Now ladies, before you get all excited. I'm using that in a generic sense. You're every bit as untrustworthy as we are. Mankind. Can't trust them. And I don't suppose it's unique to us in, in, in America that we have this thought. If we just find the right man for the job, we just find the right person, everything will be all right. It drives a lot of people to ballot box. Confess that. We can only elect the right president. If we can only do that, our troubles will be over. If we can only find good people in Congress, why our troubles will be over. Somebody to sit on our courts with a brain, our troubles will be over. Everything will be okay. But the Bible says that's vain. The Bible says this is foolish thinking. You should not and cannot trust in men. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, give us help from trouble for our help of man and Jesus. Psalm 146, do not put your trust in princes, nor in the son of man in whom there is no help. Proverbs 25, verse 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. That's another good one. Jeremiah 17, 5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusted man and makes flesh his strength and his heart departs from the Lord. I mean, I still do old quote and I use it all the time. The best of men are men of best. But it's true. The best president will sometimes disappoint you. The closest friend, the dearest lover, the wisest mentor, even the most trusted of pastors can disappoint you. We dare not put our trust in men. John Haas was a key figure in the Reformation. He unfortunately learned his painful truth. I, I read somewhere that the King of Italy and the King of Bohemia both promised John Haas safe transport and safe custody, but they broke their promises and he ended up martyred. Thomas Wentworth was the first Earl of Strafford. He was an English statesman and a major figure in the period leading up to the English Civil War. He served in Parliament and he was a supporter of King Charles I. I read that at one point he carried a document signed by his very own King Charles I, which said, Upon the word of this king you shall not suffer in life, honor, or fortune. But shortly afterwards, his death warrant was signed by the very same king. His last words, Thomas Wentworth's last words were, Put not your trust in princes. Psalm 118, verse number 9, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Some have done some math and they've determined that that's the very center verse of the Bible. I'm not sure about that. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. I suppose it depends on what translation they were using or something. I'm not sure how that works. But whether or not it's the center verse in the Bible, it certainly is a central thought, isn't it? You have to trust God, not men. You cannot trust men. You, 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 you can't, and, and you dare not trust in money. A lot of people trust in money. Job understood this. He said, if I have made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much, this also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment, for I would have denied God who is above. You can't trust in finances. Well, money is the most fleeting of things in which to trust. If you're following the stock market today, you probably know that. Do not trust in oppression. Nor vainly open robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Psalm 62. He who trusts in his riches will fall. Proverbs chapter 11. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. First Timothy chapter 6. You might have money. You might have money now. You might have a good job today. You might have little in the way of financial care today. That does not mean it will be so tomorrow. 
we have comes from God. Moses told the children of Israel, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Sadly, the gaining of accumulating wealth keeps many a person from serving God. It even keeps some from ever turning to God in the first place. Jesus went so far as to warn that trusting in wealth was a stumbling block that was nearly insurmountable. And the disciples were astonished at those words. But Jesus answered and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 10. You can't trust in money. But we can trust in God. We cannot and we dare not trust in strength. Strength. I recall a conversation I had when I was working in Ireland with uh, one of my former employers there. It was the night before an election. And we were both distressed over the apparent person who was going to win that election. We were bothered by that and we were having a conversation. And then he looked at me and he said, you know what? It doesn't really matter, Bill, because it'll still be America tomorrow. We often think that way as Americans, don't we? America will always be here. It'll always be America. We are the greatest country in the world. We think. We have the greatest military, the most productive in, of, of industry, the brightest of minds, the most righteous of purpose. We can never fall or be defeated, we think. Ah, oh, but the Bible says no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. Can't trust in strength. A few years ago, we had Dr. Jimmy Hoffa here. He's with, or not Hoffa. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm not sure what that slip means. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung was here a few years ago. And uh, he's with the Lord now, but he spent three days here talking to us about prophecy. And uh, when, I, when I booked that thing with him, I, I asked him what his, what his conference was going to be on. He said, I'm going to talk about America and Bible prophecy. And I remember asking him, really? It's going to be a short conference, isn't it? And he laughed. Because I, 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 I don't see America in Bible prophecy when I study the Bible. And of course, after we went through three days and him talking about Bible prophecy, his basic conclusion was America's not listed in Bible prophecy. It's not there. He agreed with that conclusion. And I always had this theory, why is America not mentioned in prophecy? We've talked about this, I know, but maybe some haven't thought of it. I mean, how can the greatest nation on earth that we think anyway, the nation with the strongest military, uh, military and, the, and the greatest industry and the most righteous, how can it not be involved in the most cataclysmic events of all of history? How can that be? And to me, the answer is obvious, or, or somewhat obvious. America's either going to be gone or irrelevant on the world stage. And neither of those things is impossible. We need to get our heads around that. Watching what is happening in our country in these last few years, and just the last ten years, let's take the last ten years, who would have believed the slide that was going like this would go like that? Uh, how can we not see what is happening in this world? I, I can't help but conclude it's already started. God's already been thinking about it. Across the face of America. 
Paul warned the Romans concerning those who ignored God's glory and replaced it with their own, that God would, quote, give them up to uncleanness. Romans 1.24. He warned concerning those who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Is that America? I think so. That's in Romans 1.25. He warned them that God would give them up to vile passions. Romans 1.26. Yet, see any evidence of vile passions? Around us anywhere in this country, he warned that those who did not like to retain God in their knowledge, does that sound like America? That God would give them over to a debased mind. Romans 1.28. My brothers and sisters, that is America today. We have already fallen so far from where we were. In the early days of our republic, there was a fellow named Alexis de Tocqueville. And he wrote, quote, America is great because she is good. If America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. The prophet Obadiah warned, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who save your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? And I believe with all my heart. That unless America repents, she, like so many powerful nations before her, will be brought down to the ground. Brothers, we ought to be praying for this. Sisters, we ought to be praying for revival. The Church of Jesus Christ needs to wake up and proclaim the only hope that there is. We cannot, we dare not trust in strength, but we can trust in God. You cannot and dare not trust in yourself. It's the last one that I'll mention the things we can't trust. And trust yourself. In the last days of his ministry, Jesus warned the disciples that he would soon be betrayed by one of them. And of course, you know what happened. In his ever-present foot-in-mouth way, Peter spoke up and he said, Even if all may make it stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Not me, Lord. No. Never. And of course, it was just a few hours later that he found he could not trust himself. For he did stumble. And he did deny. And he did betray the Lord. The Apostle Paul warned the self-confident Corinthian Christians, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That means my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It means your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Oftentimes we hear these old words of wisdom, you know, trust your conscience. Let your conscience be your guide. But according to the Bible, that's terrible advice. You can't rely on your own conscience. You can't rely on your mind, your heart, your goodness, your own wisdom, your own intellect. You can't rely on anything that is your own because you will lead yourself astray. Proverbs 28, verse 26, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. That's pretty clear. Whoever walks wisely will be delivered. So you cannot trust in men. You cannot trust in money. You cannot trust in strength. You can't even trust your own heart. These are things you can't trust. But you can trust in the Lord. You can trust in the Lord. Let me, let me quote Neuheiser's book again. He says, trust God exclusively. And do not lean on your own understanding. By nature we are inclined to foolishly rely upon our own inclinations and desires. All of us, like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. Isaiah 53, 6. Many people make crucial life decisions in areas such as marriage, finances, and vocation, not based upon God's revealed word, but their feelings. 
Proverbs tells us that our feelings are unreliable. There is a way that seems right to a man, but his end is the way of death. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. A man may feel that he would be happier if he were to divorce his wife. A mother may not feel like using the rod of discipline on her children. In their quest to grow, churches may be tempted to resort to worldly methodologies to compromise biblical principles. The wise man does not lean on his own understanding but trust that God's way is best. The one who chooses his own way arrogantly claims that he knows better than God. Well, one last phrase that was mentioned here. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean on thine own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And just a couple comments on that. New Isaac said of that, trust God extensively. In all your ways, acknowledge him. We are not really to acknowledge God's lordship over our religious life. We are to bring God's truth to bear on every aspect of life. We trust him in how we run our families, our education, our careers, our finances, and our friendship. He is Lord of all. No matter is too small for God's attention. It is self-idolatry to think we can carry on even the most ordinary matters without his counsel. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Trust him with your family. Acknowledge his lordship there. Trust him with your plans. Trust him with your daily activities with your finances, with your associations, with your time, with your talents. Always, always trust Him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. There's a lot of other things we can say about this passage, I'm sure. Those are just a few. There are so many benefits to trusting in the Lord. I mean, think about it. Trusting God brings security. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Trusting God brings safety. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Trusting God brings peace. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trusting God brings blessing. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Trusting God brings joy. Let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. But I want to end this morning with the benefit that is mentioned in our text. Our text, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. There's a benefit. Trusting God brings direction. It brings guidance. Now some English translations give a different translation there. They translate direct your paths as, quote, make your paths straight. I know what Bible you're holding, let me say that. And I don't really like that. I'm not sure I like that translation. Because for me, a path is never straight. My path hasn't necessarily been straight. Paths wind and turn, climb mountains, descend into valleys. I mean, to me, a path is a great picture of our Christian life, twists and turns, and all that sort of thing. And I think the promise here is that if we will but trust God, He's going to guide us through all that. He's going to guide us when we can't see around the next turn. He's going to guide us when it's too foggy to see. He's going to guide us when we're descending into that. And I guess in, in that way, we could say he's making our paths straight because he is guiding us straight and true to our destination. I just, I just like, I like the new King James better. He shall direct your paths. There's a truth here, folks, for Christians. If you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, as most of you in this room I believe are, then you can cling to this promise. We started off this whole series saying that the, the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises, but I think this is a promise. I really do. 
And I think you can cling to it. Trust in Him entirely, exclusively, and extensively in every part of your life. And He will direct your paths. Trust in God assures us that we will reach the end of the road, that we will make it to the finish line. Even if you are going through a dark part of the path. Even if the path seems confusing and hard right now. Even if the path seems obscured by fog. Even if you are afraid and concerned what is around the next bend, you can trust Him. Spurgeon said, to trust God in the light is nothing. Trust Him in the dark. That's faith. John Newton, who wrote the wonderful hymn Amazing Grace, he once wrote this. He said, everything is necessary that God sends our way. And nothing can be necessary that He withholds. When you get to heaven, you will not complain of the way by which the Lord brought you. You can trust Him. Amy Carmichael wrote some wonderful lyrics and verses. She wrote this. She said, Hold us quiet through the age-long minute while thou art silent and the wind is shrill. Can the boat sink while thou do order in it? Can the heart faint that waiteth on thy will? No, we can trust Him. Whatever your path, you can trust in it. He will get you through it. He will direct your path. I was reading a secular work of fiction that Brother Dan recommended to me one day. It had nothing to do with Christianity whatsoever. It was just a kind of a science fiction type of a thing. But I, I saw this quote in there and I added this quote to my uh, list of quotes. This guy is not a Christian as far as I know, and I don't think he was talking anything related to Christianity, but here's what the quote said. It said, quote, I can't answer every tragedy, but I know my Lord's character, and I know his power. I choose to trust him. And though I've doubted that choice many times, I've never regretted it. Did you notice that in that book? That was in the burning white. The author might not have been speaking from a Christian perspective, but that is a truth that applies here. We can safely choose to trust Him and we will never regret doing so. So there's a truth there for Christians. There's also a truth here for the non-Christian. Because if you're not already a believer in Jesus Christ, well, first of all, I would invite you to become one. You need to become one. And, and you see, our text not only provides hope for those already on the path, but it also tells you the way to get on it. You become a Christian. By trusting in the Lord with all your heart and leaning not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledging Him. Spurgeon said, My entire theology can be condensed into four words. Jesus died for me. Can you believe that much? Can you trust that much? Spurgeon also said, Conversion is the turning onto the right road. You need to do that. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Are you ready to step onto that road? Onto that path? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall whether you are on the path or standing at the beginning of it, thinking about stepping off, that verse is for you. Claim it. Father, I thank you for your word. I don't know if it's possible to do justice to this.
astonishing passage of Scripture, and I pray that this has been helpful. I pray the Holy Spirit takes these stammering thoughts and applies them to hearts in a good way. Help us, Father, who are Christians, to never forget we can trust in you. Help us, Lord God, to trust in you with all our heart. Forgive us when we lean on our own understanding, when we trust in other things we ought not. Help us to not do that. Help us in all of our ways, not just our Sunday morning church attendance, but in every aspect of our life to acknowledge you. And then may we claim that promise that you will direct our paths. May we trust you. And I pray, Father, if there's anybody here today who's never done that, who's never trusted Jesus in the first place, who's never come to the place where they saw that they needed to get on that path, Lord, help Father, as we close our service with this invitation song, if decisions need to be made, if prayers need to be prayed, I pray folks would come and uh, step out and heal here. Elders are willing to pray with them. Others around them will be willing to pray with them. So, Lord, help if people need to come to encourage them to do that. And just guide us to respond to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
And most of all, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to trust in you with all our heart. And lean not under our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you. And all, Father, we trust, and you will direct our paths. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.